You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, uh, you search us and you know us. Um, You know our thoughts um, before they're in our minds. You know our words before they're on our tongue. Um, Such knowledge, Lord, is too wonderful for us. Um, Draw us in wonder, love, and praise uh, for you and your goodness towards us. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So, one-off class on prayer and praying. Um, uh, 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 Probably, you know, a prayer um, is to sort my mind. I think this is probably a three-week class, and, and it's not. It's a one-week. It's just today. So I hope, I hope the Lord orders that and makes it um, helpful in His way. Uh, uh, it's a one-off class. Osvaldo Padilla is going to be here next week, um, starting a, a series, a short series on Acts, and, and he was scheduled to do today, but he couldn't. And so I'm happy to fill in and kind of fill a, a nook and a cranny for a one-off, and just to engage. A topic, Jack, I thought of you actually this week, because you and I taught a class on C.S. Lewis several years ago with prayer and praying and thinking about the people who've influenced me. As I think about prayer, um, Lewis is certainly one of them. Um, Eugene Peterson's another. Martin Luther, he influences me just about in every part of my my thinking and thought. And so all those are going to get sprinkled in here. Um, but just thinking about prayer um, as the noun and praying as the verb... Um, what we do, what we don't do, what it is, what it's not. Um, I think as importantly as anything else, just kind of our disposition as we pray. That's the praying part. Um, And name the thing. Um, Certainly this week in the life of our family, our church family, I may cry a little bit, Um, just with the news of Andrew and leaving in a couple of weeks. Um, Last Sunday on the 16th, I mean, there's just a lot of prayers and uh, a lot of praying that's going on. Um, I'm praying for Providence in this class. Um, this was set up five weeks ago, um, scheduling myself into this class um, so that, that the Lord knew what he was doing when he did that. Um, and just what it is and how we get drawn into this this uh, this grace-filled uh, response to the Lord's first love of us. Um, what is prayer? So almost in three parts is how I see. We'll interact with some art, especially as we look at the last part, I think, going to Gethsemane. Um, when I think of our Lord praying, and Lewis influences me here. He says, um, prayers to move mountains may have to wait um, when uh, we first come through the Garden of Gethsemane or something like that, where our Lord says, Lord, if there's any way for this cup of suffering to pass from me, this was in the middle of the night, right before Judas comes, uh, uh, between the Last Supper on Thursday night, so maybe Friday morning, 1 a.m., we don't know. He's in the garden alone, um, asking his disciples to, to come with him, and then taking the three, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further, a stone's throw away, and he pleads with the Lord three times, Lord, let this cup pass, but not my will be done, but yours. That's, that's a great model of prayer. Um, That'll be part three. Part two, just thinking about how we are shaped in our disposition towards prayer. Um, uh, And that would be the Bible itself. And that seems like a simple answer, but it's not. 
how does the Word, the living and active Word, actually shape our prayers and our praying? The Psalms um, are certainly uh, crucial there, and we'll look at Psalm 62, um, and then um, uh, Christ Himself um, uh, being the if, the, if the, if the, if the Scripture is the location or our guide for prayer, then Christ Himself is our teacher. Um, but then the first, this first part, um, what is prayer and what is prayer not? I'm just going to have this in the background. Um, I don't know who this artist is. He's obviously um, Russian, um, Vladimir Markovsky. But I just love the, uh, the simplicity of this. Um, uh, a prayer service at a farm in Ukraine. I got to visit Ukraine several years ago. Um, so I think that's one reason I was also drawn into this, um, kind of in the turn in the 1880s. Uh, just the simplicity, the humility of the gathering, um, kind of have that in the background as we think about what prayer is and what it's not. What is it not? Um, I started, it's funny in my notes, I don't know why I started here, but it's not, it's not the war chant, um, although I, I really loved it. I was a high school athlete, like a lot of us were. And right before in foot in Texas, you know, football is king. Right before the game, we played the Lord's Prayer, and it wasn't completely vapid. I'll, I'll grant that, but it was more like a war chant: "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done." And we were just getting up, you know, and you just run. It's not that. Whatever that is, it's not that. Um, it's not a war chant. It's not an incantation, a la Harry Potter. Um, it's not uh, Ouija or magic. It's not transactional. Um, where I'm placed in God's debt, or somehow I place him in my debt, and so now he owes me something. It's not a vending machine. Uh, Gethsemane will help us see that, um, where if I put in, you know, I was going to say two quarters. It's not that cheap anymore, is it? It's been a long time since I bought a Coke. Um, uh, put in a dollar twenty-five or whatever it is to get a, a bottle out. Um, it's not that. So what is prayer? Um, and funnily enough, I came up with ten things. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it did. Uh, uh, and this, I need to go through quickly through this, but some things just begin to shape. What is prayer? What is this 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 noun which describes the activity, the verb? What is prayer, which describes our action, our responsiveness, which we call praying? And I think prayer is simply the language used in relation to God. That's how Eugene Peterson begins to to think about prayer. Um, uh, it's both the words, the disposition, our attitudes, our actions, uh, and our way that we communicate with God. And all communication, this is the counselor coming out of me, all communication involves two parts, relaying and reception, relaying and receiving. And so prayer immediately opens up the idea of a conduit, of emotion, of fluidity, of a dynamism, of a, of a relaying and a reception. Um, and it's important to begin to think about this. What else is prayer? Prayer is diverse. It's a lot of things. Um, and I'm just trying to lay the groundwork and open us up a little bit to think that prayer is not just this. Prayer is not just the way we used to pray with our children before bedtime. Prayer is not just what we wonderfully and graciously got to do in the 915 or what you'll do at the 1115. Prayer is not just this or that. It's all these things and so much more. It can be request, lament. Some of these words need a lot of unpacking, which we're not going to do. Uh, it can be prayer without words. Romans 8 certainly gives us that, where it talks about sighs and groanings. Um, too deep or too great for words. Um, 
it's when it's boiled down and skinny, I think prayer is help. I really do sort of come down that all prayer comes down to help. That's really where we come down to. Um, having said that, there is just unbridled adulation, gratitude, uh, adoration, um, just a sense of awe that can sometimes be thrust upon us in a moment uh, where we we find ourselves in an attitude of prayer without an activity. We didn't say, and now I'm going to pray. We just find ourselves doing it. And the best example here, it's been said many times in many different ways, among which are these, standing at the foot of a great waterfall or at the Grand Canyon or something. You're moved. You can't not be moved. And something like that, that we find ourselves in situations where we, we, we are shifted out of ourselves and towards something else. Where our scoliosis, our spiritual scoliosis, suddenly, Paul might even say, in the twinkling of an eye, um, we find ourselves in a different orientation towards him. So it can be all this. Uh, uh, it can be confession or gratitude or exclamation or an imprecatory psalm or an imprecatory prayer. And that's where we pray uh, that the justice of God would meet the injustice of man are the injustice of the world. Um, Do I not hate those that hate you, says the psalmist. I tell you, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Those should make us uncomfortable, um, but we should grapple with that. Um, Prayer is diverse, among many, many other things. What does it do, this diversity? It puts us into a right-wisedness. That's an old 16th century word. What is right-wisedness? Just a right relationship. Remember, relay and receipt. Prayer puts us in a proper order. For the way things are. Um, Creator, creature, potter, clay, father, son, deliverer, inert, sack of bones. (laughs) The thing that cannot do anything to pick itself up and move itself. Um, Anything that places us in a proper relationship to God. Um, uh, Prayer is bold in its intimacy and its nearness. We just prayed it I can't help now not hearing this. Why do we say, and now we pray as Christ, now as Christ has taught us, we boldly pray and we come to the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. I thought about the adverb, boldly. Why do we boldly pray? What is it that we are boldly praying? And it's with that certain and sure confidence that we come to Abba, Father, our Father, our Abba, our Daddy, our near, our near and loving God. Um, that's why Mrs. Fitzsimmons, Allison, who Andrew mentioned also in his sermon, he's sold me on this. It, just in a word, he said, "This is why Christian-Muslim relations, among any other things, will fall on this every single time, because the uh, the the." The timidity, the, 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 the lack of humility, the boldness with which a Muslim would say a Christian comes to God, calling him Abba. He's like, we're, we're done. You, we don't talk about Allah that way, so would say a Muslim. And the Christians say, oh, but you see, that's grace. We who have been far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, um, through Christ who is our peace. Um, and so there's a boldness in prayer that brings us, um, that's scandalous and offensive, um, and it should be. It should offend 
our fleshly sensibilities. Um, and then there's a humility, um, similar to what we have here in this painting, um, and a recognition of what is happening, that that is not at all, and I'll say this again in a minute if, uh, if I track my notes, I may not, um, it is not at all to be assumed uh, that God would speak to us. Why would we have that presumption that the creator of the cosmos wants to relay himself and communicate himself to us? That should not at all be assumed. And what's more, even more humbling, it is not, it, it, not only is it shouldn't be assumed, how crazy is it, how scandalous and offensive is it that that same God, our Abba, should listen to us? Can you imagine that? Stop and appreciate that for a moment, that God not only uh, speaks to us, but he listens. Can you, what, what, what prattling must my prayers sound like to him? Um, what, uh, uh, what language, what, how naive, how, how limited must my finite self present to the infinite being God? Um, and yet, there it is. And with that humility, we come in all the evocations here of, of Christ condescending and communicating himself to us as the Word made flesh coming in a stable, and here they are in a dirty place, but with humility, no pretense, and of course we're reading ourselves into it, I'm reading myself into it, and just coming before uh, one another, the table, um, just in gratitude, in Eucharist, Eucharistio, of, uh, of thanksgiving. Um, uh, Father, thank you, not only that you speak to us, but that you hear us. What a thing, what a thing. So prayer is um, uh, the language used in relation to God. It's diverse. It places us in right wisedness. Um, it's bold in its intimacy and its nearness, and it's humble. And what else? It's both fixed and fluid, constant and inconstant. And I couldn't find the right words for this. Uh, but thinking about this, it's fluid and variable and inconsistent inasmuch as we do not always listen to God or speak to God correctly. So in that way, it's all over the place. But mark this, mark this, mark this grace. God always hears us. And that way it's fixed and sure and certain, and it never varies. We sometimes miss God completely because of my blindness and dullness of heart. And He never, ever, ever misses us. Um, uh, Prayer is honest and forthright. It names the thing, um, and we come as we are. Um, the basis of lament, for instance, is an honest accounting of a situation and a context in need. Lord, I hurt, and you promised, and therefore I'm hanging you on your promise. Um, that is a lament, and it's all over the Bible. Um, it can feel like it's offensive or presumptuous, uh, but that's a lament. It calls a thing what it is. Again, as C.S. Lewis once said, we must lay before him what is in us and not what ought to be in us. And we come before him in that disposition. And prayer is frequent. It's frequent, direct, ardent, and simple. Um, I do think, although um, contrasting those to long and complicated and verbose, I'm not going to say those are. Comp there's never a time or a context for that. Um, there are short seasons in my life where I might be drawn to pray for an hour at a time. Uh, 
most of the time, my prayers are much more direct. So I'm, I'm certainly willing to concede that I'm seeing things here as, uh, from my own experience. But our Lord said, do not think that those are seen and rewarded on the street corners who pray to God with many words. Um, uh, you know, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, was the one who was noticed. Um, they're short, they're simple, they're ardent, and they're direct. Um, and the last three, um, prayers and anything goes activity. This is again Eugene Peterson. Um, it's marked by a scandalous freedom. That's what I would call it. Um, we get this especially from the Psalms, uh, where we hear men and women speaking to God about anything and everything under the sun. Um, it can be loud, soft, abrupt, even harsh, gentle, or calm. Uh, it offers reflections, observations, statements, questions, petitions, requests. Um, it can be fixed or spontaneous, familiar, alien. It names fears, anger, guilt, shame. I'm surprised how quickly this came to me. Um, need, praise, gratitude, sadness, desire, lament, joy, suffering, death. Nothing, nothing, nothing is accepted from prayer. Um, and then lastly, the two things, and I think these are the best. Prayer is God's provision to us of everything that he is. In this relaying and receipt, God is a giver. He gives good gifts to his children. And what does he give? He gives himself. Um, God doesn't give justice. He is justice. And he gives himself. God doesn't give righteousness. He is righteousness. And he gives himself. Um, he gives everything that he is. Christ, salvation, justice, mercy, forgiveness, love, sovereignty, blessing, vindication, majesty, meekness, patience, steadfastness, hope, glory, holiness, wisdom, justification, sanctification, and things like these. <laughs> um, and then lastly, this one, Pete Pritchard sent me this many years ago, and I've never used it. Um, this picture of a skeleton praying. It was an old anatomy textbook and all, and somebody, I guess, had a sense of humor. I don't know the story. Um, uh, but a great drawing of this skeleton praying, and I was like, that's it. Prayer remains dependent upon God 100% of the time. Um, and just a few verses that pull that out. We do not know what to pray for um, as we ought. Um, and you have a reputation. You are reputed. You are um, reckoned. Uh, the word you have around you is of being alive. <coughs> but you are dead, so says John. Um, but God, and Paul said the same thing, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so just an image. If there's an image that stays in your head, hopefully because we're going to look at a few, maybe this is one, that I am one uh, of the skeletons pulled together after the rattling of the Holy Spirit, uh, rattling the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, and pulled back together with my heart um, uh, uh, waiting for this heart of flesh to be placed in me, waiting for the breath, the Ruach of God to breathe into me, where I'm just these bones praying in petition, holding up to God. You, O oh Father, are God. Um, I am but bones in a dead, uh, waiting, dependent vessel. My life is a receptive life. I have no life unless I receive it from you. And so prayer is always dependent upon God. If we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Um, and then maybe, if this is true, just maybe, 
as God creates us and saves us and redeems us and delivers us, all without any worthiness or merit of my own. Um, so too does He promise to hear our prayer, even though my prayers have no merit or worthiness of their own. Um, and that's all just a preface to invite us to pray. And some may ask, what do I pray? And in that sense, it's like, it doesn't matter. It will. We'll, t- we'll talk about that in a minute. But pray. Not as you ought, but as you are. And come with this dependence upon God, like a skeleton kneeling before our Father. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. And ask you. you know, great uh, woman of the Reformation, what was it, like 1543 or something like that. Um, I'm into the Tower of London by any chance. You go into the tower, and there you go, and you wind your way down, and it's now the gift shop in the basement of the Tower of London, in the castle inside the tower. That was the place where they did torture. It's just, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I went down there, knowing, I was like, where is the, where's the basement? And they said, well, you mean the gift shop? And I was like, I think so. And you go down there, and that's where the rack was. And that's where um, all I want, unspeakable things. Um, and Anne Askew, a woman in her 30s, firebrand, uh, was placed upon the rack. And the, uh, and the chancellor and the minister, the first minister, did the deed themselves and pulled her from bone from bone so that she had to be carried to the, um, the, uh, the stake to be burned in a chair because she couldn't walk. Um, she was so dislocated. Um, her last letter, probably, um, she ends by saying, and so, you know, they offered me one way out if I would repute, if I would uh, 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 refuse what I had said before. I would have... Uh, Everything I ever needed, and I would have, they would promise me a long and provided life. I said, I can't do that. Um, and so I'm to be burned at Newgate in the morning. And so, my dear friend, pray, pray, pray. And Askew's famous last words, at least in her letter. It's a beautiful, beautiful little piece. If, you're, if you have Paul Zoll's old book, The Five Women of the Reformation, it's in there. So you can go look at that. It's a short chapter on Anne, Anne Askew. She's a, she's a hero. Um, for preaching... Um, preaching the Lutheran doctrine, um, the new religion um, in the midst of uh, uh, in the midst of England when Henry wanted a little bit more even. Um, um, so that's it. Um, that's that first part. Any any thoughts there? Comments? I'm going to take a moment. I need to pray and say how am I going to order the next ten minutes because this is about three weeks worth of material. So um, any thoughts? Yeah, I think probably. Um, I'm a little bit out of my league there, but I, I think so. And I think there'd be a wide variety of opinion within Jew, uh, Judaism um, in a way that I, I don't think there is in Islam. Um, uh, I'm not a scholar of the different religions, but I do think that's true. Um, there's, And it's not completely vapid, you know, a movement to try to find ways for the religions of Abraham, um, Christianity, Judaism, and uh and Islam to all find ways to coexist and come together. So, hey, Carolyn. Um, but there, Mark, there, there are significant, significant differences, obviously. And that is certainly uh, one of the exhibit A's would be our Father who art in heaven, um, Abba, Father. They would not approach him as 
a father at all, but certainly not in that way. Let me move quickly, because um, I do want to get to Gethsemane. Um, how do we learn? So if prayer is primarily the language of God, um, the language that we use in our relation to God, how do we, how do we learn this language, this grammar, this, uh, this language itself? Um, two answers, Scripture and Jesus himself. Um, and so quickly, um, if Scripture, the Bible is our listening post. It's the location of of that relationship between us and God. So Bible, the Bible, which it calls itself living and active, and now it's almost a, a living geography. Um, it's a land, it's a place, it's a location. And our relationship is located in this living and active word, Scripture. Um, and that is where our relationship with God, as we, are, as we relay and receive, and we are relayed and we are received, um, it happens in scripture. And so this living and active word begins to shape us, begins to form us, begins to move us in a certain way. Um, let's put that another way. Prayer detached from scripture, and I know this would be, you know, controversial in some places. Prayer detached from scripture is prayer that is not listening or speaking to God. Prayer that is detached from scripture is not prayer that is listening to or speaking to God. Um, that's sort of a big deal. That doesn't mean that like when you're driving and you don't have your Bible open that you can't pray um, with your eyes open. Um, of course, that's not what it means. It means as we're formed by this living and active word, whatever it wants to call prayer, as God self-discloses himself and reveals himself to us and says things like, when you pray, pray like this. And it presents itself to us in this living and active way, well, the Word doesn't work, so Paul would say in Corinthians. It shapes us, it forms us, it disposes us in a certain orientation towards Him. And then two examples um, that I put on the handout. One is Colossians 3, which a lot of us would have read at our weddings. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Um, That's at the center of this passage at Romans 3, and it comes in and goes away from it. And that's worth praying and meditating over. But let's just go through Psalm 62 for a moment and think about, this isn't a psalm that's about prayer per se, but living with this living word, as this living word does itself to us and shapes us and forms us and makes it into the people who we're going to be. This is, I think, one way, and this is an example of how that happens, how that might happen if the word is doing this. for here's Psalm 62. I'll read it, and then we'll make a couple of comments, and then, then we'll shift over to, uh, to Gethsemane. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. For God alone, my oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. And kind of a part two of the psalm. 
Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, like a scale, they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken. Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, and to you, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render or complete uh, render to or complete a man according to his work. Um, lots to be said. Um, I'm hardly going to approach all of this. The, uh, uh, the psalm, as I was reading about it some this week, uh, in the structure of it, it, there's a unique structure, and it's lacking a bunch of verbs. Now, in translation, we add them. Um, but the first line, for instance, one commentator said, and Paul would do this in a few instances in the New Testament. It says, uh, uh, whatever you like, um, but unto God, my whole being, being in silence. That's kind of the first line. Um, whatever you like, to God, my whole being in silence. It's just, you know, this is as if the psalmist David can't get there fast enough. And I want to put a verb in there. This is me reading into it a little bit. In order to, to, to confuse the dependency. I'm not doing this. I'm but a sack of bones. I can't move myself. Uh, it's just an exclamation of what God is doing in me. This God of power, which is expressed as steadfast love. Um, and then it's these statements. Again, prayer is diverse. It's statements and exclamations and, and analogies and laments. And imprecatory, imprecations, I guess. I don't know what that word would be. Um, he alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Says it again in five. He, for God alone, O oh my soul, talking to himself. Um, uh, Wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. Um, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And I'm going to go down to the last two verses, 11 and 12, and just restate that. This idea of God being the power um, and power uh, of love. The power of steadfast love. Once God has spoken twice, I heard this, just a, like a teaching mnemonic there. Once, twice, um, keeping us right in the, uh, in the rhythm. Power belongs to God. And that you, O Lord, uh, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Um, uh, what is the nature of this infinite power that is God? The nature is infinite love. And this becomes a Christ psalm. This infinite power has the nature of infinite love, uh, where Paul would, I think, interpret something like this by saying, well, read what I wrote at the end of 2 Corinthians 5, uh, where God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How do we, uh, 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 how is it rendered to us, or how are we completed according to our work when we're like this? And then Christ comes in and says, you don't, I do. My righteousness for your rags, my righteousness for your sin. And so now, 
by Christ's infinite steadfast love, the infinite power of God, uh, places you before God, our Father, um, acceptable and pleasing unto him. It's the wonder of wonders, and it puts us in this dependency, kneeling before God as a sack of bones. We who once were dead in our trespasses and sins are far off, are now alive in Christ and brought near. And then we'll go, if Scripture is our location, um, uh, and it shapes us and forms us in our prayers and praying, Christ will be our teacher. And we'll look at Gethsemane here for the next few minutes. But any, maybe a thought or a comment? I'm throwing a lot at you. Um, let's read Gethsemane. I've got a few images to help anchor our thoughts and reflections. Um, as I mentioned before, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem, um, a place which seems that uh, Christ and his disciples would have gone for for respite. Um, Gethsemane means oil press. It's where the the, uh, the olive groves were, and there would have been, you know, literally an olive press where they make olive oil um, as a cash crop. And he goes there, as he would have done, um, it seems, many times to pray. Um, and Luke says it this way, that Gethsemane is, uh, the, the story is told in all three Gospels, synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, Luke is the only one that mentions an angel, and all three of these We'll talk about the angel um, and interpret it, the angel bringing the cup. So when he came out, Christ, and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples, all 11 of them at this time, Judas is gone, followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And when he withdrew from them a stone's throw, so in other words, kind of far enough away, but close enough he could still hear, they could still hear, he knelt down and prayed. Um, Matthew would say, he fell on his face and began to pray. Uh, and he prayed, saying, Father, that's Abba, by the way, is in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Abba, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared from him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So we got this contrast of being strengthened and being in agony. <laughs> He's being strengthened, and his agony increases. Um, what a thing. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, I don't know how long this was, um, but when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise, and he says it again, and pray that you will not enter into temptation. While he was speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him. And so just to interact for a few places with, uh, with some of the visuals. This is Tintoretto, um, what, 1578 to 81. Um, obviously, we kind of come here and we go up, and we see Christ not in agony, not tormented, not um, turned over, sad, Drawn in, I, I, I haven't, I haven't spent a ton of time with this piece, um, but the uh, the Christ here is very different than the ones we'll see in just a minute. Um, but what dominates here is this angel. Look at that form, the strength, 
the forcefulness with which the cup is being thrust upon Christ. I mean, there, that is what evoke, is evoked for me in this painting, this angel. No sort of light, sort of, ha, oh, look, an angel. I mean, you would see an angel um, and, uh, and understand why every instance in the Scripture, the first words are, fear not, because you quake um, with their, their otherness. And the angel thrusting this cup, this cup of uh, salvation, this cup of wrath, this cup of judgment, this cup of fate, this cup which is his to drink to the dregs, uh, his life um, for uh, 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 would be our life, and our death shall be his. And we have this with this heavenly light coming and then spilling over onto the uh, uh, to the three sleeping disciples, Peter and James and John, with Peter just rousing and looking up and over at Judas, who's leaning over, pointing and saying, there he is, that's the one, I'll kiss him, and when I do, you'll know to do the deed. Um, here, for all this, you can watch the cup and, the, and the, the, the countenance of Christ and how this is portrayed very differently in uh, Albrecht's Durer in 1521. Um, at this point, uh, one of the, uh, in Germany, um, one of the, the new followers of Luther and and it was the reformation of the word with the printing press, but also of the image with woodcuts and some others. And art was a big deal coming out of, um, of, uh, of Germany um, at the time of, of the Luther's Reformation. And Albert Durer is seen as one of the masters at this period. Um, so here he is in a woodcut with a, or in a pen and ink drawing um, from 1521. And you come in here in the middle and kind of come up. And it gets the first thing I note is just this is confusing. I had to sit there for a minute, let my eyes sort of take in, what am I seeing? I couldn't do it. It's almost like one of those, stare at it for a while, and then the shape begins to come. That's almost what it was for me. I don't know what it is for you. And then you start to realize, oh, this is Christ. Almost couldn't see him. And then over here, the disciples. And then back there, barely uh, uh, intelligible, is... um, uh, the swords. There will be blood. There will be blood. It's coming. Um, you trace back to the middle, and obviously the feet dominating the central place, and it pulls you up. And you notice almost happenstantially, there he is again, another angel with the cup, this cup being presented to Christ. And Durer takes Matthew's cue, and Christ threw himself on the ground uh, uh, before his Father, praying earnestly. Uh, in the cruciform position. And there are his feet, the one who just hours before washed his disciples' feet, and hours from now those feet will be pierced through. There are his feet, these feet which have been have, uh, have trod. And this is a mist, I think. And it's just this oppressive heaviness of this, 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 this fate, this morrow which is coming. Um, uh, Durer's Gethsemane. Um, uh, with again, and Peter. That's the last piece, and then we'll, I'll, I'll move on to the next one. I don't get him. I don't know what he's doing. Almost looks bored. Um, resigned. Maybe, maybe, maybe. He's just such a cocktail of emotions. This is totally me reading into it. That he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how his body is supposed to express. What do I do here? Do I pull 
one leg up? Do I roll my head back almost with an eye roll? I mean, what does Peter do? He doesn't know. And there he is, just in his own frame of agony, captured in this uh, ambivalence, perhaps. Um, and here's the last one. I don't know who this artist is. Kalat Kalei, um, The Agony in the Garden. Um, uh, love this one. End on this one. Um, just motion is what I see with this. Um, uh, it feels like motion and it evokes movement. Uh, where Christ over here, you'll see him. Your eye didn't fall somewhere except maybe right there and you begin to make out some pieces. I first see Judas leading almost impatiently. Saying, come on, come on, come on. Um, well, everybody else, the battalion of soldiers coming for one man. <laughs> a battalion for one man. Um, uh, the contrast there. Almost reluctant, almost reticent, almost like, no, you know, we'll get there soon enough. This is a dirty deed. I don't want to go. But not for Judas. He, he's running to get up there. It feels almost cruciform. I'm sure this wasn't there, but I see this and it's almost like a profile of the cross. And you've got crosses here and you've got cross here. And it's just this almost a cruciform composition with the theophany, with the appearance of the angel and of God's messenger coming down with this pool of light and where there's even wind, the spirit, motion, pushing the trees back and light almost as liquid spilling out and pooling downhill as it runs down this weight of the heavenly glory, the Shekinah of God. And this angel, the pleadingness of Christ, and it's got the outward motion uh, with the disciples, of course, asleep. But this angel coming with the cup, carrying Christ's cross, uh, no mistake, what is this fate? Um, here is Christ pleading, Father, um, it's tomorrow, and it's coming, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's your will, and not, not my will be done, but yours. And that's the disposition of prayer. That's maybe how I want to end it. The disposition of prayer after we exclaim, lament, confess, adulate, uh, uh, express our confusion, our ambivalence. A good way to end it is, not my will be done, Father, but yours. Um, that's, you just can't go wrong there. And that's, uh, that's what's captured, I think, at least in part, in these three pieces. So, prayer and praying, it's a lot to relay and to receive. We're always dependent upon God. Um, our location is Scripture. Our teacher is Christ. Gethsemane being a preeminent example. Um, we come before Father saying, not my will be done, but yours. Um, make me what I will be. May I pray? Lord, come now. Um, take these words feebly offered and uh, uh, on the strength of your, uh, your word, Lord. Um, do your work in us um, so that we may be drawn to prayer, um, to confession, to praise, to lament. To, uh, to confusion, to, to whatever it is. Draw us to pray um, in your word and taught by Christ. Um, we beg this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. 
If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.